Is Terry Fontenot bad at drafting? And what's exactly wrong with the Falcons offense? I'll be answering those questions and more on today's post-Thanksgiving leftover mailbag. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Locked On today to get 10% off your first month. So, guys, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. I've uh, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FileFans.com, R.I.P., Still going strong on this illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast. You may know me as Sirius Black. You may know me as Mr. Drew. So many other AKAs. Probably today we'll be back to contrarian Aaron uh, on today's episode with some of the takes I'll give. But I appreciate each and every one of you that are everydayers of this podcast. You can become an everydayer by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So this is another one for the everydayers because my plan is I'm recording this earlier in the week and we'll th probably potentially throw this up on Black Friday for those of you that need something to listen to as you're chomping down on your leftovers. We're going to do a leftover mailbag because a couple of these questions are more than two weeks old that's sort of been you know lingering at the bottom of the mailbag. And so let's uh, empty the mailbag and, and, and get some of these takes off on today's episode. So our first question comes from the Discord. This is from Brigantor. If you were performing an autopsy on the offense from the first half of the season, how would you rank the order of the following potential causes of death, e.g. from biggest contributor to least influential? Number one. The overall offensive philosophy, a run-heavy approach, is fundamentally flawed. Number two, the play designs are ineffective in creating space. Number three, the play calling, which play when, is poorly developed. Number four, the players are not assigned to the appropriate roles on the or on plays for their skill set, a la Janu Smith jet sweeps. Number five, the players are making mental errors when executing the plays. Number six, the players lack the skills slash physical tools to execute properly. Number seven, the offense has been unable to overcome injuries. And number eight, the offense has been a victim of bad luck and any other causes of death that I'm missing. So um, I'm not going to rank those uh, in order. Uh, I would probably say that the, the thing that probably has shown up more to me on film has been probably number five. The players are making mental errors when executing the plays. That's something that if you've been a locked on Falcons insider and gotten access to the all 22, the extended all 22 reviews that we've done uh, this season, you've seen me bring up plays like that. Probably not every week, but at least every other week of, of plays where, you know, examples of that are not only like quarterbacks making mental errors and, and not seeing open receivers and throwing to the wrong guys, um, but also like receivers not knowing that they're the hot read, like not recognizing that a blitz is coming and understanding that they need to adjust their routes and uh, to, to make it so that that play doesn't result in a negative play. Um, so that to me is probably the biggest one, but you can probably find examples of the other seven things that you're talking about throughout the film. I'd probably argue number two that I would probably rank highest uh, in, in order of, you know, biggest contributor is probably the play designs aren't in effect are ineffective at creating space. That's number two. Um, 
you know, if does it doesn't feel like that's an every week thing, but there has certainly been times, especially at points in the red zone and on some critical downs where the Falcons often seems too condensed at times. So, uh, you know, again, there's examples of probably everything that you could find in here. Like, for example, like most of the offensive line play would be, you know, I guess technically number six, the players lack the skills or physical tools to execute properly because offensive line play is so ex- execution based. Right. But is it because they lack the skills? or whatever, or physical tools, like, you know, Drew Dolman lacks the physical tools to be able to block Vita Vea, but like, you know, that, that only affects one game, you know, th- those types of things. So it, it's hard to sort of nail it down. So I think it's a lot of all of the above, uh, but I would probably say to me, it's mostly mental stuff rather than, you know, schematic or those types of things. I just don't, don't think the Falcons are doing a good job executing the offense as it's called, even if the offense as it's called isn't, incredible i think it's more than good enough for this team to be better than what they have been offensively throughout this season so uh i hope that answers your question brigantor we'll continue today's episode answering a question about terry fontenot's draft record and does he suck at drafting and i think it's too early to really know but i'll break that down as we continue today's leftover locked on falcons mailbag so, guys, you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with a winning $5 money lined bet. That's $150 if your team wins. And guess what, guys? FanDuel doesn't know that your team is the Atlanta Falcons, so you can bet on anybody. You can bet on the Eagles. You can bet on the Chiefs. You can pretend for at least when you sign up at FanDuel that your favorite team is a guaranteed winner and whether you want to bet money line which is straight up bets or you want to bet spreads player props over unders or more FanDuel has it all if you want to bet the spread for this upcoming falcon saints game i don't know why but falcons are one and a half point favorites have been so over the last week so if you want to get in on that action there's no better time to go to FanDuel by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on and FanDuel is an official partner of the nfl so As we continue today's Locked On Falcons, I do want to plug the Locked On Sports Today national streaming channel. Locked On is an innovator. It's an icon when it comes to coming up with the first ever national 24-7 streaming channel here on YouTube. And not only Locked On Sports Today, but you can also check out Locked On Sports Atlanta for those of you that are geared up on these local Atlanta-based sports team. So check it out at Locked On Sports Today or Locked On Sports Atlanta for that 24-7 streaming channel. So our next question comes from BJ Brush on Twitter. He asks, does Terry Fontenot just suck at drafting? I would love your take on this on an upcoming episode. So I don't think he sucks at drafting, but I think it's too early at this point in time to tell. He's probably, again, it's too early to tell, but he's probably just kind of average at drafting, right? And it's too early to tell because I'm sure, BJ, you've heard this, and I'm sure everybody else who's listening to this podcast has heard this. It takes three years to judge a draft, right? And so we're at a point where we can only really judge like one of his drafts. And even then, we're not fully three years removed from that draft where, you know, we still got 40% of the season left to be played out. And while I know it's tempting to just already be sort of make final judgments about some of those players in the 2021 draft, including Richie Grant and Jalen Mayfield and Drew Dahlman, et cetera. you know, we still got plenty of this season to play out that could change and affect our opinion. But that one draft, I think, is a fairly average one. Um, you know, I, I think part of the reason why I say average and too often, I think in these spaces, average gets construed as bad. But like, I, I think on average, 
I think the draft hit rate is probably a lot lower than most people realize, right? That, you know, I did research like a decade ago that basically said like, you know, if you, if you waited five years to judge a draft, let alone three years, um, and it would be about 22% of the players that you drafted would turn into quality starters for you. Like guys that are not just like, Hey, they start games. Like, I don't think Drew Dolman's a quality starter at this point in time. Um, but like guys that like start games and like are trench starters, you know, go on to wind up being the type of players that play seven to 10 years in the league and, you know, half or more of that time, they're the uncontested starters and no one worries like Jonathan Babineau and J- Justin Blaylock, those types of players are, are what I'm talking about. And the hit rate on those guys is like less than 25%. So when you do the math and you look at Terry Fontenot's 23 draft picks, that probably means only like five or six of those guys are going to be bona fide sort of starters that, you know, you could say, okay, the three first round picks, Pitts, London, and Bijan, and then probably two out of his day two picks will turn that. So like between, you know, Richie Grant, you know, Desmond Ritter, D'Angelo Malone, Troy Anderson, Arnold Lebichetti, um, Matthew Bergeron and Zach Harrison, like, you know, how many, I just named six guys. Like if two of those guys turn into quality starters, like that's an average draft rate. And like, I think the perception that most people have is that like that number is double what it actually is. Like it's like 10 to 12 bona fide starters that you're supposed to draft to be an average drafter. And that's part of the reason why I think there's this perception that Terry Fontenot sucks at drafting. I think there's a perception that, you know, Thomas Dimitrov was a terrible drafter when in fact, like every data set that you can look up any amount of research that you would find will tell you that at the very least he was an above average drafter, if not one of the better drafters uh, over his time here in Atlanta during those 14 years that he was running the team. Um, but like, you know, again, because people, you know, feel a certain way about things, uh, you know, it leads to people thinking that, you know, he was terrible at his drafting. And then, you know, because Terry Fontenot hasn't drafted, I guess, as well as Thomas Dimitrov. Well, if Dimitrov was already a bad drafter, then, you know, Terry Fontenot sucks. So I think it's too early to tell at this point in time on what, you know, Terry Fontenot's draft record is it's part of the reason why I've been frustrated over the last two years that you've had these sort of vocal people that are like very pro or even anti Terry Fonda. Like it's just too early at this point. It's like, it'll probably just wind up him being average at drafting. And um, you know, that's, that's probably going to be how it goes down, but I guess we'll have to see. So um, well, let's move on to our next set of questions. Um, and I guess we'll get into the end of this episode. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, why I don't necessarily look at any coaching candidates as the ideal candidate to potentially replace Arthur Smith, should he uh, be on the hot seat at the end of this year, and why I'm not necessarily frustrated with Kyle Pitts' usage. And we'll get into all of that, guys, as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you that today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, right? And we know that this time of year especially can be a lot Right. And it's natural to feel, you know, sadness and anxiety about this time of year. Uh, And therapy can kind of be your bright spot amid all the changes and the stress that goes on during this time of year. Something to look forward to, something that can make you feel grounded, something that can give you some of the tools that can allow you to manage everything. And therapy has helped for me because it has helped. You know, one of those tools is understanding that I can only control what I can control. And, you know, I've been a personal I can advocate personally for better help and how much it has helped me with that. And one of the big reasons why I started with BetterHelp is because it was more affordable 
than traditional offline therapy. But the other thing that makes BetterHelp great is it's designed to be convenient. It's designed to be flexible and suited to your schedule, right? And then it's easy to get started at BetterHelp. All you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll get matched quickly with a licensed therapist. And the beautiful thing about BetterHelp is, you know, if you need to feel the need, like you, you and your therapist don't mesh and you're like, I don't know if this person and I really mesh, you know, you can switch therapists for no additional charge. So find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash locked on today and you can get 10% off your first month. Uh, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on. So let's wrap up today's episode. And of course, our next episode will be our reaction on Sunday to whatever happens in the Saints game. So continue to make us your first listen. Always appreciate that, guys. But our next question comes from One Way De Niro in the Discord. He says, if the Falcons do what needs to be done and fire Arthur Smith, who would be the best candidate out there to replace him? And One Way De Niro, again, I, I don't have a, as compelling an answer as you're looking for because, to be honest with you, I don't really think about this too much. I learned a long time ago, um, like roughly 15 years ago, that I don't really have a clue on who's going to be a good head coach. My My origin story on this was, Back in 2007, uh, when I was first starting out kind of blogging about the team and, and sort of taking my coverage of this team from just arguing about them on various fan forums to like, you know, this website I have, filefans.com, let, let's actually use it to talk about the team, um, RIP. Um, and so during that coaching cycle, like the guy that I wanted was Cam Cameron, because I looked at it, what he did with Philip Rivers and Drew Brees in San Diego and thought, okay, he can do that with Michael Vick and, and turn Vick into that superstar, that more consistent superstar player. Um, and of course, the Falcons went in a different direction that year and hired a coach that shall remain nameless. Uh, and Cam Cameron wound up being the head coach of the Miami Dolphins that year, and it was a disaster. They went one in 15 that year. He got fired the year after. And, you know, I don't think Cam Cameron, you know, bounced around was Baltimore's OC until he got fired there. And then I think went to college or whatever, but like, that was the realization I had 15 years ago. Oh, I, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Right. Like I don't have a, any clue about what it takes to be a good head coach. And I, I really don't think a lot of people have a clue, especially fans. And so when fans come up with their little wish lists of like coaching candidates of who they wouldn't want the, their respective teams to hire, I just, I just kind of look at that and just go like, you're just, you're just throwing stuff at a wall and you're guessing, right? And like, it's not even educated guessing, right? It's just guessing, right? Like, for example, educated guessing or semi-educated guessing is like, I can look at a wide receiver and I can say, okay, you have a certain skill set at the collegiate level and that projects well to the NFL, right? You can run routes, you can catch the football, you can separate from coverage, right? You have ball skills, you can beat press coverage, all those things. And the more of those boxes you check at the collegiate level, we can make a semi-educated guess. Again, we don't know with 100% certainty, but a semi-educated guess that you will be successful at the next level right? Because you check certain boxes because we know that wide receivers are supposed to check certain boxes and have a certain skill set, all that stuff, right? What is the skill set and traits that you look for in a coach, right? It's a much more nebulous exercise, right? It's like, oh, you got to motivate and you got to be organized and schemes and you got to be able to, to deal with player personalities and you have to deal with the media and you have to deal with the front office and the ownership and all. It's all these things. And then when you look at the people that we look at, as the next great coaching candidates, the coordinators, you know, typically offensive defensive coordinators, like they don't check any of those boxes. Like they don't do any of those things. Like they, you know, they have some of those interactions, but to the degree that they're going to have to do some of those things as a head coach is very different from the degree that they do those things as 
offensive or defensive coordinators. And so like, there is no sort of like, we can make an educated guess that because you did X, Y, and Z as a coordinator, you're going to do X, Y, and Z as a head coach. Right. And, and not to mention you're, you're taking that person and putting you know, like, Oh, I like this offense in Detroit, or I like this offense with the Browns or defense with the Browns or whatever. And then you put them in the completely different environment with different personnel, different circumstances, all these things. And you just assume, well, it, it'll just work exactly the same. You change all the variables and you expect the same results. It doesn't make any sense. And so like, that's where I'm saying, like, you're just guessing. And like, you go back to this past coaching cycle with the Falcons looking for a defensive coordinator. And people were asking me then, like, who would you hire as your defensive coordinator? And I was like, I don't really have an opinion on that. Right. And meanwhile, everybody's coming up with their short list. And for example, like Ryan Nielsen, you know, I, I rarely saw Ryan Nielsen more than like four or five on various people's short list. But when you look at all those various candidates that the Falcons could have hired as their defensive coordinator and look at some of their success, you know, Nielsen's probably had one of the more successful ones, if not the most successful one of any kid, maybe Brian Flores, you might put ahead of him. Um, but like, to me, there's a lesson there. The lesson is that, oh, like you don't know if you were, if you had Ryan Nielsen number four and you had Ajiro Evero number one, like you don't know what you're talking about. And so like the lesson there is like, oh, you're just throwing stuff at a wall and hoping something will stick. But yet people don't ever learn that lesson. That's like the difference between me and other people is like I learned that lesson a long time ago. Like, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. So like I don't sit here and, and blow smoke up. But that's why I always talk about blowing smoke up. Like people just talk the talk. Like They're just sitting here talking, saying stuff because it sounds good and blowing smoke up your butt. And like, oh, if we hire this guy, this guy will be good. It's like, you don't know that. Like you're, we're all just sitting here guessing. So like that's why like, I don't to answer your question one way, Daenerys, like I don't think about it. Like I don't. Like, I'm going to have an opinion. If the Falcons, in a world where they fire Arthur Smith and they hire a coach, I'm going to have an opinion on who we hire as that coach, right, once the hiring is done. But in terms of coming up with, like, my short list and here's my top five candidates and here's the preferred guy that I would hire, it's like, it's not up to me. Like, again, going back to something we just talked about with BetterHelp, I can control what I can control. I can't control who Arthur Blink is going to hire as the Falcons head coach. So I don't spend that much time thinking about things that I don't control over, Right. That's helped me in my daily life, right? Um, I think it would help a lot other people, but again, that's a whole separate <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Go check out BetterHelp, right? Uh, BetterHelp.com slash locked on. Um, but, uh, you know, I just think like, it's not something I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know? Like, I, I, I like it's, it's the other, it's a similar question to when people ask me like, who you think we should draft, right? Like, and I just like, you don't really care who I think the Falcons should draft. You care about what I think of the player that the Falcons actually do draft. And like, you know, I don't base what I talk about based purely off of views, but I, I noticed like the episode I did talking about Ryan Nielsen last year when we hired him was one of the more popular episodes I did last year. All right. There was a big spike in, in views and, and downloads that day. Right. But if I had done an episode the week before listing my top five defensive coordinators, like no one would have listened to that episode. Right. Just like when I do my free agent wish list every at the beginning of March every year of here are the free agents, like no one really listens to those episodes. But hey, you know, the most popular episode I'm going to do almost every single year is going to be right. You know, the, the Friday after night one of the draft, because you want to hear my reaction to who the Falcons draft. You don't really care what, who I think the Falcons should draft the week before that. Right. You know, so like that's how I, I kind of view it, where it's just like I know at the end of the day, like I need to have an, one opinion. And my opinion is, on the person that they actually hire, not the opinion on the people that they should hire. 
So that's that's kind of how I view it. So to answer your question, I don't really have an answer because I don't I don't really think about who I think would be a good candidate. Like, you know, my ideal candidate would be probably an offensive minded coach because just because like that to me brings potentially more stability to your franchise. But in terms of like which offensive coordinator, like I can look at, you know, Ben Johnson in Detroit and like, oh, I like his offense and it's kind of a better version of the Falcons offense. But does that mean that Ben Johnson is going to be a great head coach? No, it doesn't mean anything. He could be, or he could be terrible. Like, we don't know. Uh, so it's just like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I hope that, you know, I know that doesn't answer your question. <laughs> I hope you understand why I didn't answer your question one way to narrow. So we'll wrap up with TJ's question from the Discord. He says, hey, just finished up listening to today's episode, 11-8-23. This is why uh, these, these things have been lingering in the mailbag for a couple of weeks now. Uh, you mentioned we need a legit, legitimate receiving threat and that Kyle Pitts could be that guy, but doesn't look like it at the moment. You also mentioned the injury as well. Kyle Pitts' usage just drives me insane on a week-to-week basis. I hate seeing packages with Pruitt and Janu without having Pitts on the field during passing downs. We both know the kind of weapon Pitts can be. We saw it in years past after reviewing the All-22 midway through the season. What do you think the issue is? P.S. Hesse should be on this roster. I can't wrap my head around what gave Pruitt or Fitz the knot. So we won't get into the Parker Hesse things. Uh, but um, I don't have as big an issue with Kyle Pitts' uses as, as, as you do, Tiege. Um, Again, like a lot of things, I can nitpick some things. But like for the most part, like I, I think it's fine, right? Like for me, a, a lot of it, I think, is we look back at especially his rookie year and we we sort of we probably overhype his rookie year a little bit, because I, I think when you really look at his rookie year, like it was like three monster games that he had that year. And then outside of that, like, again, it wasn't to say he wasn't he played poorly or anything like that, but it was just kind of like not that different from what you saw, what you've been seeing the last couple of years. Um, and like one example, you can illustrate this. And I, I think I've talked about this before in the podcast, which is one way you can evaluate things is like understanding things through the bell curve, right? The bell curve where it's like the 25% at one end, the 25% at the other end, but the average is that sort of big bell shape in the middle, that 50 middle percent in the middle. And so, you know, when we had a 16 game schedule, it was easier and cleaner, but uh, you could basically take a player or teams four worst games and four best games and kind of remove them from the data. And those middle eight games are going to tell you more about what that team is on a weekly basis or that player is on a weekly basis than, you know, just looking at the sort of quote unquote outliers, which is the, those top or bottom 25%. And if you did that exercise with Kyle Pitts' rookie season, I think it worked out to be, if my, my numbers are correct, like six catches and like 54 yards per game right? He averaged in those middle eight games. And if you look at Kyle Pitts' like last eight games this year, and again, it's, it's not the exact same exercise because again, we're, we're working off a 10-game sample, but um, he ha- would have be averaging about six targets, not, I said catches, I meant targets, six targets and um, six targets um, as a rookie, six targets now. And instead of 54 yards, he's averaging like 45 yards. And I would argue that probably that drop, that nine yard drop on a per game basis, probably you could probably argue is mostly owed to the injury that he suffered and him not necessarily being a hundred percent, right? You know, he's that knee issue has made him 10 to 15% worse than he was. And that probably makes up the bulk of that 54 to 45 yard drop. So I, to be honest with you, I think Kyle Pitts' production is about the same as it was, as it, as it has been 
even when he had his, you know, great seasons. Um, the main difference is like he didn't have those monster games like he had it during his rookie year. And when I look at those games, especially games against Miami and, and the Jets, to me, it wasn't his usage that led to those performances. It was just mostly how defenses defended him, where the, those teams played a lot of man coverage in that game and the Falcons were able to take advantage of that. And part of that may be just because they had a quarterback that was better at taking advantage of that, that could hit those throws more consistently than the quarterbacks that they've had the past two years. Um, now, one thing that I do think you can legitimately complain about is the lack of touchdowns for Kyle Pitts. Um, and, you know, <laughs> that, I don't know, that that's a multifaceted and, and complicated issue that we will not be able to answer fully on this episode and may not be able to ever answer fully on any episode. Cause it's just like, you know, I, I do feel like Kyle Pitts should probably have double or triple the amount of touchdowns that he has, but sometimes it's just kind of circumstances that lead to him not producing at that level. Um, you know, but we're not going to, we're not going to get into that on today's episode. So I don't really have that much, issue with Pitts's usage right like it's not as consistent as we want it to be but I, I don't think it's as nearly as as bad as people make it and again I think a lot of it is I think Pitts is held to this like ridiculously high standard because of where he was drafted and I think to us to a lesser extent who he was drafted by when he was drafted by that team that the fact that the Falcons we had basically lived in a decade of watching Julio Jones play and the expectation for a lot of folks, whether, you know, conscious or subconsciously, they expected Kyle Pitts to just kind of step into Julio's shoes and be Julio right away. And anybody who's listened to this podcast or watches this podcast knows how I feel about Julio Jones, but you know, I, I think he's probably one of the three to five best receivers that have ever played the game. Um, and you know, I'm sure other there are plenty of people that will disagree with that opinion, but like I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to hold Kyle Pitts to that standard. And I think a lot of times we do hold him to that standard. And because we we got glimpses of that ability of his ability to take over games like he did against the Jets, against the Dolphins, against the Lions to a lesser extent during his rookie year, like the expectation was he was going to do that in perpetuity forever. Um and, you know, because of where he was drafted and, and being like, and so, I, like, you know, maybe I'll I'll be saying this again two and a half years from now <laughs> or whatever. But, like, I, I feel like, you know, Pitts is well on his path to being an extremely productive NFL player. It's just the standard is so high for him that even him basically producing like a top five tight end year in and year out and being one of the more productive tight ends through his first like 40 ish games that has, you know, played the game over the last 25 ish years um, is still not good enough. Right. That, and part of the reason why he's not even more productive than he, like, I think I looked it up like last week or something like through his first 37 games, like he's eighth in yards or something like that over since 2000. Um, and like, if you just, and part of the reason why he's only eighth, right? Like he's with like Evan Ingram, who's like seventh or something like that. But part of the reason why he's only eighth is because just because the Falcons run the ball so much, like, and you compare him to someone who's like third in yards, which I think was like Jimmy Graham. And you compare how often the Falcons throw the ball versus how often the Saints threw the ball. 
through Jimmy Graham's first 37 games versus Kyle Pitts' first 37 games. And like he would easily blow away Jimmy Graham's production if he got the same amount of usage in the Falcons offense, in the Saints offense, given how often they threw the ball. So it's like, again, circumstance, I think, conspires against Kyle Pitts to a certain degree, right? Which I guess goes back to the question we had earlier um, from Bergantor about like, is the Falcons offensive philosophy fundamentally flawed, but they have all these, you know, potential weapons um, and, you know, they run the ball. I don't, I, I don't really agree with that, but like, I can understand why other people may differ on that. Right. We, we know, you know, without getting too much into it, but we, we know passing is m- more valuable than running, but at the same time, like we also know that like passing doesn't solve all your problems. Like all you have to do is watch, look at the Matt Ryan era and just think being a high level passing team, you know, obviously gets you good results because the Falcons contrary to popular opinion were a, a fairly successful team during that time. But like, it doesn't solve all your problems is what I'll say. But again, that's, that's a deeper conversation for another day. So um, I hope that answers your question TJ. Like I, I don't, I don't get frustrated by Kyle Pitts' usage. I think his usage is fine. Um, I could nitpick like a lot of things, but like, I don't know. We'll see. So um, that's it, guys. Uh, <laughs> much more meandering mailbag than usual, but uh, I, you know, you can forgive me uh, for this being a holiday week. So uh, we'll be back with more on Sunday, re- reacting to this week 12 matchup against the Saints. Go Falcons. Uh, continue to make us your first listen. Appreciate it. Till then.